Good morning. Um, this morning, in your bulletin, um, you have the passage from Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read that, um, but we're going to be camping in Luke chapter 24 um, primarily this morning, and we're going to be looking at the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. But let's read in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and following. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and following. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took them out of his sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. We'll pray a blessing on God's sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, and life-changing word. Would you pray with me? So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who gave us the word. We thank you for human writers who were infused by the Spirit, breathed out God's Word, inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us the Word that we have today. I thank you for this, this blessed book, 66 chapters, 66 books, Father, of your blessed story about your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, from Genesis to Revelation, from, from the garden and before to the end of all times and this earth, your Son reigns and rules, and the story is about the story of redemption. I thank you for the fact that our sin was never going to thwart your ultimate plan. I thank you for the fact that we have a high priest right now that is interceding for us. We thank you so much for the fact that we have a King of kings and a Lord of lords who's majestic over us, and I pray that we would hear him today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You ever wonder why it is that we don't spend very much time at all on the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ? Sad to say, when I was thinking about it as I was preparing for the sermon in our, in our Encounters in Jesus series, we're getting near the end. I believe that Pastor Tim has one more sermon in this series next week, uh, but I was thinking about the fact that as, you, as we go through and look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we focus much on his birth. We just came out of that celebration talking about the fact that Jesus Christ became incarnate. The God, truly God, became truly man, and he came here and, and lived among us. He took on human flesh, and we, we worship him. We celebrate his birth at Christmas. And then it is on Good Friday, which will happen months from now, we will be celebrating what Christ did for us on his death. 
on the cross where he sacrificed himself for us, where he took our sin upon himself and he, he bore the wrath of God for our sin. And when he did that, he became a substitute for us. We, we celebrate that day. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday where we come here and we're such joy that there's an empty tomb. And the hope of that. Why is it that we spend so little time thinking about the ascension? I, I was convicted very honestly about the fact that I tend to think of Jesus Christ's past of what he did for us, which is immense. And then I think about what Jesus Christ is going to do future in his future reign in our lives. But Jesus Christ is presently at work for every person who trusts in him today. I pray that that would be a good comfort to you. So much of church history has spent times neglecting the, the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's, for some of us, it's hard to grasp. It's hard to grasp that he was risen from the dead. That's, that's hard to grasp in and of itself. But it is really hard to grasp that a, a person sitting here in bodily form all of a sudden is raised before our eyes and he is raising up into the sky and, and a cloud covers him. That, that is hard for us to comprehend. And I think what happens at times is that sometimes people make things and they spiritualize it. They, they almost think of the fact that Jesus Christ left his human body and left that here on earth and that he went up spiritually, but that's not what Scripture says. That Jesus Christ, the same body, though different, is seated at his Father's right hand right now. That's an immense joy and hope for every person that is sitting here this morning. Where is Jesus Christ now? Right now, he's with his Father. The same body which he was crucified John Knox said it this way, the self-same body, the self-same body he arose, he has now ascended. His body was transformed, of course, after death. It was entombed, yes, it was resurrected, but it was not merely resuscitated. You know, all of the other people that were raised from the dead in Scripture eventually died again. If you thought about it, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, Lazarus is not alive today walking on earth, he's dead. Tabitha and all of the other people in the Bible, they were resuscitated, brought back to life. But Jesus Christ was resurrected. He became the first fruit so that we can be joy and hope that, that we have a God who was raised from the dead and we will have the same skin and bones with the Father today. You know, as we see this passage in Acts, Jesus rose into the clouds. He rose up. I don't know where heaven is. We know very little about what God is going to do for us. What is up? I have no idea. The Russians had sent off an um, astronaut years ago, and he went up into heaven, and he said, I've looked around to see God, and I have not seen him, as though that was going to be the final measure of what is truth and what is not. The fact is that he may have seen a lower case heaven but he did not see the uppercase heaven. Can't see it. There's a spiritual realm that we cannot comprehend, we cannot see. Oftentimes in Scripture, we find that sometimes people's eyes were blinded. They could not see. There was an interesting story in, in the Kings about Elisha. And Elisha was there, and there was an army that was around him. And his servant is there, and he's getting overwhelmed by the army. 
And, and Elisha prayed that this servant's eyes would be open. You know the story. And as his eyes were open, he got to see the angelic force that was around him. So we do not see necessarily everything that is to occur. But what we can take confidence in is this. Jesus Christ ascended. He's at a place where it is real. He ascended before our eyes into the glory cloud of God, the Shekinah glory that was with the Old Testament saints, that as God covers them and leads them, that Shekinah glory is now covering Christ and wrapping and enveloping him. And we live today in Christ. I want you to know today that the ascension is so important to you because it assures you that the incarnate one, the God-man, reigns and rules today. He's at your, the Father's right hand for you. What is an amazing thing is this, that somebody like us without sin is seated at the Father's right hand today for you. That should be such joy and peace in your life. So many of us spend so much time focusing on the cross, which is so important. So many of us think about the future glory, which is also important. But we lack the joy and the excitement and the anticipation and the hope that is present for you right now. Because your Savior rules and he reigns today. His work is not just past. His work is not just future. It is a present reality. So I want to spend some time kind of talking about that. Look with me in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're going to be using this as our passage that we'll be spending much time in today. So Luke 24 talks about um, the chapter begins with his resurrection, Luke 24, verse 1 and following. It begins with his resurrection, his appearances, and then we see in Luke 24, verse 13, he's on the road to Emmaus, which is another blinding scenario where these people, these two people are walking with Christ and they can't comprehend, and then all of a sudden God is, Christ is opening up the Old Testament and saying, this is who I was, this is who I am, this is who I am, and then all of a sudden their eyes are opened, and then we get to Jesus with his disciples in verse 36, and, and Jesus comes to them and he, he says, I want to give you peace. And then what he did, verse 44, then he said to them, these words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms, that's basically the whole Old Testament, then he opened their what? Minds to understand Scripture. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning with Jerusalem, and you are my witnesses to these things. And behold, I am sending you the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And then look at this verse, verse 15. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. Now, how, far, how long has it been? Jesus Christ is resurrected, and it's 40 days later, we see in Acts, that he is spending 40 days, six weeks, with his people, teaching them, encouraging them, taking the Old Testament, and showing them 
that that Old Testament was about him. He is acting as a prophet. He is taking the Old Testament prophecies and he's showing that this is about me and their eyes are opening, their eyes are opening, and their eyes are opening and it's so encouraging. And then he he talks about his priestly work. He talks about the fact that I needed to go to a cross and he takes Isaiah, probably Isaiah 53. You know, surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds, we are healed. The Old Testament saints did not completely understand that, but Jesus took that passage and said, this is me. He showed himself as prophet. He showed himself as priest, and he says, I am going back to my reign and rule that I am king. And he's teaching his people at this time. And then he led them, verse 50, out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Three times in just these two verse, three verses, we see blessing. He blessed them, verse 50, verse 51. And while he blessed them, and then finally at the end of verse 53, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. They were blessed. Aaron, Aaron was the priest of the Old Testament. He was a brother of Moses. You remember this. And Aaron gave a blessing and was called the Aaronic Blessing. And it was the Lord, what? Bless you and what? Keep you. The Lord, what? Make his face to shine upon you and what? Be gracious to you. The Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you what? Peace. And Jesus was not only pronouncing that blessing, he's saying that I am the blessing. I am the one who shows you the face of God. I am the one who gives you grace. I am the one who grants you peace. So the resurrected and ascended Jesus rules and reigns in our lives today. So the passage goes on to say that while he lifted up his hands, he blessed them. I want you to hear today God's amazing blessing for you. He loves you. He accepts you if you are in him. He he forgives you if you are in him. He frees you if you are in him. He adopts you if you are in him. You are blessed upon blessed upon blessed upon blessed if you are what? In him. Jesus Christ rules and he reigns. Calvin tells us that uh, Jesus Christ was prophet, he was priest, and he was king. It's interesting, if you read the Old Testament, I know that some people struggle with the Old Testament. I, I get so excited with the Old Testament because as you read the Old Testament, it looks forward to Jesus. It, it's small signs that you see of Jesus, little crumbs of what you see of Jesus, but it's all about Jesus. Every prophet of the Old Testament, starting with Moses, Moses was the great prophet of Israel, and what was he doing? He was symbolizing his people were caught in bondage. And, and what did he do? He became their mediator between God and these people, and he spoke truth to the people. He came down from the mountain and was given the word of God, and he gave that word out to humanity. But Moses was not a perfect prophet. He failed. He didn't even get a chance to go into the promised land. And every other prophet 
Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, every single one of them, good men, sinful men, dead men. Every prophet of the Old Testament is looking forward to one, the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect prophet, the perfect teacher, that when people sat at Jesus' feet, they heard him. And it's like their eyes were open. Mary just sat there at his feet. And it's like Martha's doing all of these things. And Mary's just sitting at his feet wanting to eat up what he's saying. But as with the prophets of the Old Testament, the word of God will either harden you or it will soften you. See, the word of God goes out to humanity. And humanity will either reject that word and therefore the God of that word, or they will humble themselves before that word and humble themselves before that God. And almost every prophet of the Old Testament died horrific deaths because the world heard their message and hated the message and hated the God of that message and attacked them and killed them. As though that they could kill that prophet and then the message would be gone. It won't. And that prophet, every prophet of the Old Testament is looking forward to the prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every priest of the Old Testament. Some of us struggle as we go through Leviticus and you see these sacrifices. It's like, Lord, what are the purposes of these sacrifices? See Jesus through the sacrifice. See him through the wave offerings. See him through the scapegoat. See him through the blood that has been shed. See Christ, the the perfect mediator. The imperfect mediators of the Old Testament were looking forward to the perfect mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. That When Jesus Christ finished his work on the cross, he finally, he fully, he completely satisfied the work. He atoned for the sacrifices of sins. He took on the wrath of God. He went into the Holy of Holies for you and for me if you trust in him. That's what Jesus did. He became our perfect high priest. He was a prophet that spoke truth to us. He was the great high priest. And then at the cross, John gives us an interesting illustration. He says that when Jesus Christ was raised up on the cross, he was raised up almost as king. That as your king is raised up on the cross and you look to one seated high on a cross. The sign above him says, this is the king of the Jews. It was supposed to be a mocking statement, but it was a true statement. This is your king raised up on a cross. He, he lived for you. He died for you. He was resurrected for you. He was glorified for you. He's the king that rules and reigns. But all of that is the past work of Christ. Is Jesus Christ today your prophet? Is Jesus Christ today your priest? Is Jesus Christ today your king? I believe this passage clearly helps us to see that he is. That Jesus Christ today, through his Holy Spirit, takes his word that the Holy Spirit has given to you. This is Christ's word to you through his Holy Spirit. That Jesus Christ has given you this book. I desperately, desperately, desperately encourage you to be students of this book. Whether you come to a Psalms class or a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study, you need to be putting your, or Sunday school, you need to be putting yourself under the Word. A half-hour sermon once a week is not 
going to be enough. Jesus Christ, the great privilege that you have is that the King of kings and the Lord of lords wants to speak to you. And he has enabled people who have gifts to teach you. Put yourself in those places. It discourages me when I see the numbers of people, and this is not to beat you up, but it discourages me when I see the numbers of people that are sitting in our sanctuary versus the numbers of people that sit in Sunday school on Sunday morning. It discourages me when I come here on a Sunday night for my class or I drive by on a Monday night for the men's groups or the women's groups and the number of cars that are here. Put yourself in a place where the great prophet of all will speak to you, teach you, learn of him. And then what he wants to do is not only teach you truth, he wants to use you that you could teach others. So Jesus Christ speaks through his Holy Spirit. He breathes out scripture. He takes the word and he shows us Christ And he shows us Christ in Scripture continually. You can never get enough of John 3.16. You can never get enough of Book of Romans, one of my favorite books. You can never get enough of Isaiah 53. You will never understand it completely because your eyes will be opened again anew to the prophet. But Jesus Christ is not only your prophet that is working today to teach you and to speak to you. He is also your priest today. He's not being re-sacrificed. There are religions today that believe that every Saturday or Sunday he is being re-crucified in a mass that is not occurring. Scripture tells us clearly that Jesus Christ died once for sin. All of the Old Testament sacrifices, the millions of animals that were slaughtered in the Old Testament, looking forward to the one sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ, that when Jesus Christ died, it was once for all done. But what Jesus Christ does do as your mediator, as your priest today, is he, he reminds you that God is a personal God. He reminds you that there is a God who knows you and loves you. He is a passionate God. Jesus Christ died for us because he loved us. So when you think of a priest, I want you to think of a priest that is passionate. I want you to think of a priest that is personal to you. I want you to think of a priest that is praying for you right now. Amazing to me. The two parts of the Trinity, two persons of the Trinity are praying to the Father. Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit is praying for you right now. That as you're going through the most difficult times of your life and you don't even know what to think about, God is taking his word and the groans that you're having, he is bringing them before the Father as request for you. And if that doesn't blow your mind enough, the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, is praying for you, interceding for you bringing your request before the Father. He says, I am intimate with this person. I know this person. And he is advocating for you. I don't know if any of you have ever uh, been in a legal situation before in your life. 
And so when you get into a legal situation and you find yourself really in need and you know you're going to go to court, what do you do? You find what? You find an attorney. Now, you could find an attorney that is like a, um, the worst attorney in the area, but he's, he or she is the cheapest. And you have some representation when you go into court, but when you go into that court with this cheap and reckless attorney, you're not really confident as you stand before that judge's bar. But I can tell you that you have an attorney... Scripture tells us in 1 John, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so what Jesus Christ does is that I'm not only coming before you and advocating for you by praying for you, I'm advocating before the Father in essence. He is pleading his own blood before the Father. He says, that's mine, and I got them covered, God. That sin, knew it already, covered I don't know who's sitting here this morning with the guilt and the condemnation of the worst of worst sins that you could ever think about ever doing. And what Jesus Christ says to you is this, I've got that covered if you trust in me. Jesus Christ is pleading for you as a personal God. Jesus Christ is pleading for you as a passionate God. Jesus Christ is pleading for you as a prayerful God. And he's pleading for you, just pleading his own blood. Day after day after day, at his Father's right hand, he is the great prophet, he is the great priest, and he is the amazing king. He rules and he reigns. I was listening to somebody, a sermon this weekend, which um, a very big church I almost want to say the guy's name, but um, I won't. We have to be actually kind of careful because his church puts out a lot of songs which sound good, but his preaching was off track. He believes that God is not in complete control. He believes that God wants good things to happen, but he can't make it happen. He believes that as he was sitting there, he was, he was mocking the fact that God would allow bad things to happen in life. I'm sitting there thinking, well, the worst thing that ever happened this side of heaven was what? The crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, which the Father planned. And his message made absolutely no sense. And, and the people in the congregation were going, amen, amen, amen. And it's like, God is not in control, he was saying. God does not rule. God does not reign. That was what he was saying. And that was an encouragement to these people. It was not to me. See, I want a God, if I am Joseph, sitting in a prison where I've been wrongly accused by my brothers, that I want a God who, even though you intended it for evil, what? God can what? intended for good. See, I want that God. I want a God, if I'm Job, and I am going through suffering, and Satan is attacking me, I want a God who says, I got that. I'm with you. See, I want a God who is going to take, make all things together for good, including my own sin. See, I want a God who is greater. He was making a smaller God, and the people were going, amen. He's got thousands of people in his church. My heart was breaking.
your Savior, reigns from his Father's right hand. He he is sustaining all things. He is called the name above every name. There is, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Psalm 24 says this, lift up your eyes, O you gates, the gates of heaven. The king of glory has come in. See, he's bearing up humanity in his triumphantness. He's coming in and people are coming on his coattails into heaven. See, that is the king that I want to celebrate today. See, your true destiny as the people of God is that there is no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death, no more cancer that looks forward to you because your God reigns. That same Jesus who walked on this earth, who spoke, who touched us, he is the same Jesus today. He's ascended to his Father's right hand. He blesses his people with the fact that he's a prophet. He blesses his people with the fact that he's priest. He blesses his people with the fact that he's king. But I find it interesting in verse 51, it says this, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Who carried him up into heaven? Did the angels carry him up into heaven? The angels were clearly with him, but that's not who carried him up into heaven. Did the disciples carry him up into heaven? Well, it wasn't the disciples that carried him up into heaven. His father brings him up into heaven. Well done, my son. Jesus had heard that at his baptism. This is my beloved son. I am well pleased. You heard it at his transfiguration. And now Jesus is now getting the royal coronation. Come home, my son. Rise up and take your seat on the throne of eternity. And they worshiped him. They turned returned to Jerusalem with great joy. I camped on this phrase, great joy, for a while. I ask a lot of questions when I get to text. You know, who, what, when, why, where, why. And I got to this word, two words, great joy, great joy, great joy. That kept rolling around in my mind. And I, I started to think, Why were they having great joy? Some of us in this room have lost people this year. Some of us in this room have lost people this week. And when we lose somebody, we do not have what? Great joy. They're losing Christ, but they have great joy. How? Go with me to John chapter 14. Go to the right and then several pages over, John chapter 14. Jesus said, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and Judas has betrayed him. And as we see, he has already predicted that Peter is going to deny him. And he says, let not your hearts 
be troubled. Now, isn't that exactly what we would expect people to feel when you're hearing that somebody that you are loving is gone? Wouldn't we be troubled? Wouldn't we be troubled at the thought of losing that person? Yes, our hearts may be troubled. And what I find in Scripture, if you go back to John chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus even said that my own soul is troubled. So the Lord Jesus Christ, perfect humanity, was troubled in his own spirit. He was troubled in his own spirit after Judas departed. He was troubled in his own spirit because he knew that Peter was going to deny him. He was troubled in his own spirit because he knew he was going to have to bear the wrath of his father. He was troubled, but the disciples were troubled as well. And these disciples are troubled, and troubled hearts are just very common today. I can look out in this congregation, and I may not know your story, but I know that there are troubled hearts all through this congregation this morning. And I don't know what the trouble is because you are deeply troubled in your spirit, the distress, the loneliness, the fear, the no, the no peace that you have right now, the lack of comfort that's in your soul, the fact that you are worried about the decaying of your body or the distress of your life, the breakdowns of your relationships. I don't know what the trouble is, but there are people in this congregation this morning that are troubled in heart. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, believe in God, believe also in me. What is he doing? He says, I want to teach you. I want to be your prophet. I want you to look in John chapter 16. He says in verse 5 and 6 and 7, he says, uh, I did not say these things at the end of verse 4 to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask where you're going, but I, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now they're having sorrow. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. That makes no sense to me, the disciples would say. I want you here, Jesus. Don't leave me. See, if you go, I can't handle it. It doesn't make sense. Verse 16, a little while you will see me no longer, and again in a little while you will see me. And some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will see me, not see me, and again in a little while you will see me because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does it mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what, I, uh, what you are asking yourselves? What do I mean by saying in a little while you will not see me? And again, in a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful but your sorrow would turn into what? Joy. So we went back to the Luke passage as I close. I want you to think about this. What changed between days before where they are lacking joy, distressed and troubled in spirit to the joy that they see. First, they see the resurrected Christ. 
But second, they see an ascended Savior. See, Jesus is leaving them, but he's not. See, most Christians today would say, I really wish we had the physical Jesus with us today. But if the physical Jesus were walking here on earth and the Holy Spirit never came, he would be in one place and we would be in another place and we would not be with him. But what he did when he rose and ascended is that he could send his Holy Spirit, that he through his Holy Spirit is with every one of us today. There's never a place, never a time that you will ever go that Jesus is not with you. And the disciples started to get it. Ah, it makes sense. Their perspective had changed. They, it changed about the presence of Jesus. Jesus is always with me. Jesus may not be with me physically, but he's with me in my heart. They, they knew of the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew of the personal nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew that Jesus Christ was praying for them. And they knew that Jesus Christ was presently ruling and reigning in their lives and their weeping turned to joy. So my brothers and sisters, uh, my friends, this morning, that is what you need to hear, I hope, and that is what you need to believe. Believe in God and believe also in me. That what Jesus Christ did for you and for me is that he rules and he reigns. He sits on his kingly session this morning. There is nothing that is happening in your life that God is not aware of as the great prophet. There's nothing in your life that God is not ruling over as the great king. And there's nothing in your life that God is not advocating for you as your priest. So I want you to let that saturate your mind. I want you to let that flood over your life, that we don't just look to a Christ 2,000 years ago who died on a cross, and we don't look to someday in the future. We look to one who is your great prophet, your priest, and your king. He's reigning over you today. Trust him. Let's pray. Lord, um, as, we, as we come to your word, there is a lot of theology that is there, a lot of truths that we can find in your word. And for some people, Father, doctrine is dry and theology makes no sense, and, but theology matters, Lord. Knowing truth about who you are and knowing truth about who we are and knowing truth about what you require of us and knowing truth about what your son has done for us is so essential in our lives, Lord. So help us to put, our, help us to put ourselves in places where we will hear that truth and learn that truth today. Father, I pray that your son's gospel would so saturate our lives that you would remind us that as he was enveloped in that Shekinah glory cloud, it, it, it symbolized to the disciples that heaven is opened again to us. Father, in our own sin, we shut the door of heaven to you. We shut the door in your face, Lord. It was a door that we could never open again. 
Father, sometimes in our own anger, we find ourselves slamming doors, but those are doors earthly that we can reopen again. But this was a door that we could never open. But Jesus Christ says, I am the door. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So, Father, we praise you for the fact that heaven is open again. That we have a great high priest who is interceding for us. We praise you for the fact that we have a prophet who is speaking to us today. We praise you for the fact that we have a king of kings and a lord of lords. But, Father, I would be remiss if I did not pray for my friends today that sit here and hear my voice who have never trusted in your son. They could have a belief about God, but they have never believed on him. Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would open their eyes as you open the eyes of Elijah's servant. I pray that you would open their eyes as you open the eyes of Stephen as he was being stoned and he looked up into heaven and he saw the son standing there at your your right hand. I would pray that you would open their eyes that have been blinded by Satan as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. Open their eyes to see the beauty of your son. Bend their knee to him because every knee will bow and every tongue will eventually confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I pray that they would do that today while there is still time. And for the many of us that do, as the disciples had great joy, they went out and started to witness of this good news. Help us to do the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.